professional services marketing. Stick around to listen to our insights, tips, and best practices to improve your firm's marketing and even your career. Welcome, everybody, to this new episode of the Unbillable Hours podcast, where today, so just Ash and myself, but we also have Jason Maliki with us, who is both a principal right jason that's the title <laughs> correct me if i'm wrong at, weird and awkward title all right at dattleback which is a marketing agency some of you might have heard of because they're firmly and exclusively positioned as a provider to professional services firms and jason you can say a bit about that but you're also the co-host of podcast rattle and paddle um with your co-host Jeff, a podcast which we are great fans of, obviously, because lo and behold, you guys cover similar issues to those we cover, but you do it from, I dare say, a much more senior perspective and, and with this interesting dynamic of you being the agency principal and Jeff being the former CMO or firm CMO. So yeah, let's not forget, Flo, we had Jeff and now... How could I forget? A... Sure, we had him on, yeah. That's, that's how we that's how we managed to book Jason. You got it. Yeah. So he um, didn't burn down. The, he didn't burn down the podcast on you. So I guess he, yeah. he, he invited me over. <laughs> um, was that a fair introduction, Jason? Do, do you want to add something to it? I don't know. No, Anything? you did a really nice job. As you said, that the third thing that I'm involved in that I think is some of the topic of what we'll talk about today is. Yes. There's a conference on thought leadership. I'm a co-host on that program. It's in its sixth iteration. We just wrapped the sixth year of that conference, and it brings together uh, folks from fresh professional services and beyond who are responsible for thought leadership or editorial programs and then the marketing of high-quality content inside of firms of all shapes and sizes, but all certainly all B2B orgs, whether they're consulting firms, AE firms, SaaS firms, all share, have that shared, it's a share, it's a shared community of interest. I'll put it that way. Yeah. And I will also recommend this and I'm not being paid for it, but I attended this year for the first time and you alluded to it. Like we invited you to ask whether you'd recapitulate some of the points you made during your keynote, because you had a segment there titled, if I remember correctly, problem ownership strategies. And that is both something that comes up in my work time and again, and I'm fascinated by, and I think something that's also key to, I dare say, not even the thought leadership strategy, but even the marketing strategy of a firm as a whole, right? You've got to figure out which problem you'll be famous for solving or however you want to phrase that. So do you want to maybe take the listeners back to some of the points you've made? And I don't know if you want to start by explaining a little bit how you think about problem ownership strategy or how do you define the phrase? I don't know what the right way of saying it is. Yeah, no, I think you did a really nice job articulating it. It's like you said, what are the big thorny client problems that you as a firm have to own now and for the foreseeable future and possibly for all time? And, uh, the, the, the things that you're going to stake, a, put a stake in the ground and say, 
This is the client problem that we exist to solve. And not only do we exist to solve it, we are on a sort of relentless pursuit to find a better way to solve it than, ever, than it's ever been done before. It's an interesting way to think about it only because I think a lot of times firms fall into, like us, you described Rattleback. Rattleback is a marketing agency for professional services firms. That's what we're known as, right? What are the problems we solve is layered underneath that. Sometimes firms think that they've done their marketing job by just declaring where they want to be known for having expertise or known as a consulting firm for retail organizations. And that's the, and they've done their homework. It's not enough. All that does is basically hopefully get awareness of what you do. The only way you're going to get, as Jeff would put it, um, affinity and I think he likes to use the page relevance is if you're owning critical problems that clients are really struggling with big mushy complicated problems yeah and um, i think it's if i can qu quote something you said there during your presentation that, because it's a matter of niching down further or creating a or clarifying your role or your firm's role further you said something interesting if i remember correctly during the conference where you said it made a similar point saying you can't say we we're a consulting firm helping what was it mid-sized mid companies or the middle market or something like that in america yeah. and then you said oh yeah but that's the second i forget what the number was but he said that's, that's cool. the fifth largest industry in the world or something so can you be more specific and i think that's where the pro defining the problem yeah. comes in right yeah, I like to use that one a lot. It's it, it, the, the, the U.S. middle market, if you slice it out, is the sixth largest economy on the planet. Oh, the and, sixth yeah, largest. Yeah, okay. No, that's really good. That, that's really all the good. time yeah. that will say to me, Jason, we target the middle market. I'm like, well, we're going to yeah. have to be more specific than that because you, you really haven't done your job as a marketer. You, you think about classic marketing is about segmentation, who you serve and who you don't. And uh, most firms don't have a good rap on that, in my experience. They just, they don't think in those terms. And you asked, a, in this setup, you asked a great question. I want to put a spotlight on it because you yeah. basically said, would I agree that the problem defines the ideal client profile much more yeah. than anything else? It's a great question because I think it's, you can look at it bi-directionally. You could say on the one hand, our positioning is, well, I'll use Rattleback, marketing for professional services firms. Now, what are the problems that marketing leaders and firm managing partners face in growing their firms? And so the problems stem from the decision that we made to service that narrow segment of the global economy, right? Or you could look at it from the other lens and say, no, we exist to solve I have a client where they exist to solve the most thorny, difficult growth challenges that nobody else has been able to solve for Fortune 500 companies. So it's it's the problem that they're owning is the problem of growth. And that sort of then the, the client that has that situation comes to them, right? So it's like a different way of segmenting the market. And so I think you ask a really great question. And I think it can be either or. I think you can lead with defining yeah. a firmographic mm -hmm. or demographic structure, or you could lead with this kind of instinctive problem that you think is unique enough that you can get found for. I think you're right, though, by saying you've got to maybe you even should take the bidirectional view, right? Because, yeah, maybe it helps to define the industry or the sector first and take the problem view to specify it further. But, but I could imagine that there's there are cases where the problem you solve is so specific that if you start there, um, you, can, you can still keep a certain industry, right? Maybe you're good at solving specific cybersecurity challenges in, I don't know, the financial services mm -hmm. industry. But then if you stick with the problem rather than the sector, 
that opens up opportunities to grow in adjacent industries or other areas where pe people have very oh. similar problems. I don't know. <clears throat> Yeah, and it's also applying the scientific method when you look at it, right? Because you start with a problem and then you come to a resolution and you'll find more problems as you do that and keep resolving them. Yeah. But I, the anecdote which I bore, because you shared your sixth largest economy, but I had the bit I use for this spiel, and no one laughs about it, but I'll try it anyways, is my, my dad and Mick Jagger are not too far apart in age. So demographically, they're very similar, if you will, for, for many criteria. But the problem of where do I park my private plane is something only one of them has. <laughs> and my dad's not <laughs> it. So. I didn't know your dad was so wealthy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What to do with all my money is not, if you were to tackle that problem my dad would drop off the ideal client problem drop off the list <laughs> uh, that's a, i actually really that because it, it does you've probably heard me talk about this idea of like firmographics demographics and psychographics and, and i think well, that's what you're driving home is yeah mick jagger's psychographics the problems he's struggling with look a lot different than <laughs> very different you know, from that. most of compatriots of a similar age and yeah. no, I actually, I like that a lot. That's a really good example. I, I might have to co-opt that. I'll source it, of course, but I like it. All right. But having gotten the idea of what a problem, a strategy of owning a problem is and how it might work. So do you want to walk us through a little bit? Because you shared some great points about how to shape such a strategy. And then maybe on the back half of that, where these efforts often break down. So I don't know how much you want to give away to people who didn't attend the conference, but, but please start us off on the how to build it section, if you like. Yeah, no, I'm a pretty open book. You've We've talked a number of times. I tend to believe the process of building a, a strategy is not particularly difficult to wrap your head around. It's so straightforward. Mm -hmm. Actually doing it is a lot harder, but I always tell clients, I, like I, I have it in front of me, it's like a six-step process, right? So step one is get clarity on the business strategy first, because some of the questions we just talked about as it relates to industries or buyer types or organization types, and then the bi-directional relationship between that and problems should come out of the business strategy, right? The organization should have a clear understanding of where it believes its growth opportunities are. And if it doesn't have answers to those questions, then maybe your thought leadership strategy is built to help help solve for that. But hopefully there's some sense from some senior leadership that says where things are going and what they believe their best opportunities are. So you always start with that and say, what do we have to work with that's going to guide us on where we want to make investments? We talk a lot about qualitative interviews. Actually, I think it's really important to use qualitative interviews inside and outside the org. So it's spending time with subject matter experts, sales, people that touch the sale, the people that service the client, talking to the client directly, multiple clients, both clients that maybe you work with, have worked with in the past, but no longer work with, or clients you'd like to work with. And you're really, these are really open-ended dialogue-based interviews where you're just trying to really get underneath what they see as their biggest challenges. What are the things that they're struggling with the most that they see as most pressing in their business in the near future. So it's like step two, right? Step three is, again, it's a subjective, I get those messed up all the time, a subjective exercise of grouping those. So it's saying, okay, we've done all these interviews. Let's look for, let's look for threads. Let's look for master topics that emerge from this and find a way to group them. So we're not dealing with 50 topics. We're dealing with maybe five or six or seven, six problems that we really want to take ownership of. 
and maybe those two, as you, you said, you alluded to earlier, flow. It's inside of that problem. No, I actually asked you to in the scientific method. Inside that big, hairy problem, there's a whole bunch of sub problems that come with it. And that, that's what you want to have happen, right? And then we encourage clients to use quantitative research to so say, okay, now you've done that exercise. You've said we've got these five master problems that we think we could take ownership on. Then go back to a broader set of your clients and prospective clients and try to get their feedback on those problems. And the two levers that, that Bob and I like to use is this idea of importance and confidence. How important is that problem to their organization? How important is it for them to solve that problem? And what confidence do they have that they can solve it? And you're looking for gaps between the two. And that way you've got some data to make an objective decision about where you're going to invest your resources and say, we're gonna own these problems because they're both really important and there's no confidence inside of clients that they know what to do about it. So they're probably hungry for answers on those, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And then from there, it's pretty straightforward. It's classical marketing planning, right? Take that insight and then build smart business goals against it. So what do we, we're gonna make an investment in thought leadership. What do we want from that investment? And be clear on that. And then yeah. build a plan, which I think most marketers know how to do, right? They know how to yeah. translate a set of goals into an actionable plan. So I, I don't think it's, Personally, unless it sounds difficult to me, I think it's pretty straightforward. Just yeah. curious, it's a slight sidebar, but when you do the whole problem analysis, how often do they come across problems that they didn't even know existed? Because you know, you do this for a lot of people. Obviously, you'd have some fun stuff finding people, always finding things they never even thought about. Yeah, it's actually really interesting. I mean, you know, what I've noticed through the years when we do this type of work, it's like you definitely get, usually the firms themselves have a pretty good understanding of the problems that their clients face. Usually, like you said, there will be a surprise on the client side where they'll be surprised that someone sees something as a problem. It's not like it's necessarily a problem that they've never mm -hmm. thought of. More often, it's like they just didn't realize that was actually a problem that the client faced. Or... Um, or they didn't realize how difficult it is for the client, right? They're surprised. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I thought that was super straightforward. I thought every client knew how to do that. They don't know how to do that. And they're shocked. And, and they is, feel like then it's like they got to go back to 101. That is yeah. interesting. Um, that is yeah. interesting. I would love to do a, an analysis of some of that stuff at some point in time, because in, in my limited experience, I often what I often get is that exactly what you're describing, and then the logic of it is the problems the clients actually struggle with are like three levels below or more on the tactical side, or however you want to put it, or more on the basic side than what the consultants anticipated. Because they, being the experts, yeah. like you just said, thought, oh, this stuff is basic. But the clients say, no, that's the actual problem I'm actually having right now. So help me with that. I can't, I'm wrestling with an example right now. I don't know, in, in my business, like we want to discuss marketing strategy and whatnot, and clients come back and say, do you think we should be on TikTok? There's <laughs> a confusion about the channels, which is easy for me to say, look, that's not even on the menu for the day, right? It's easy to dismiss that, but these are actual questions the clients have. And if you, I don't know, it's probably a bad example for a problem to own, but you've got to gotta respect the fact that they struggle with this stuff. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, it's, I have one client, it's a huge diversified global corporation, publicly traded professional services firm. And I, and I'm always, we, we talk every week and we're just like talking about how to navigate and how to build a, a more effective thought leadership and digital marketing program for the firm. And I'm always like totally surprised with the types of things that he's actually incredibly frustrated with inside of his firm. And usually not the big picture things that you see flowing around in the marketing community, right? 
they're always like super tactical things. Like I, I can't get, there's a good chunk of my firm that not only they don't care about any digital data, they're not aware that we have digital data that, that we can use to inform decisions about our clients. They don't actually care. <laughs> they, they could care less if I give them the data. They're like, ah, oh, this means nothing to me. Yeah, I could care less. And so yeah. stuff that you just, you wouldn't even realize is that you, you, stuff that to me is so logically interesting. If someone shows me a dossier on a prospective client and tells me everything about kind of their digital behavior, I, I make instant leaps of what I could do with that information if I had it, right? Yet they don't care. And so I think that's the types of things I think are really yeah. interesting is like you said, is like there's all these tactical things that they're dealing with that kind of surprise you because you're not in their shoes living inside their shoes and you guys have the benefit that you both have been inside some really big firms respected firms and you've experienced those things firsthand right yeah uh, might, there's probably a continuum of issues and where they land the small shops need the processes and the stuff and it probably quite nimble and quite good often at the tactics and in large firms the tactics and the skills get lost because the tool there's issues with the toolings like partners come and say why can i not just send an email blast from my outlook <laughs> why yeah, who's mean, marketing to tell me i can't and who are these gdpr compliant to like these types of issues spring well, up but, i just want to say to yeah. that it's primarily the issue of complex systems and scale really yeah. if you change the scale you'll see the problems are similar on some level but the complexity of systems which you can see within like you know day, daily life that creates a whole set of new issues and problems that they don't think about when they're scaling and i think that's that might be a good place to look at problem ownership as well like when you're scaling what new things are coming up because they just think about getting the system up and running not like the change that required to it. There is actually a firm now that you yeah. mention it, and I have to go and look it up because I can't remember. But there's one of the smaller but also mid-sized strategy boutiques, I think, in the US who has outwit complexity as their claim. Mm -hmm. I forget who it was. Anyways, but maybe bringing us back. So yes, you find surprising problems, which that can be interesting. I think this is where we came from. And then I don't know, Jason, before we get into where stuff goes wrong, or maybe it's a good segue, but would you describe the process? Would you recommend, is there a necessity to do that practice by practice? If you have a multi-practice complex from probably like a, a practice would own a problem and then if you're lucky you can roll it up into a larger firm positioning but sometimes the, the if the firm is like your large client probably they can't even do it right or it's very difficult um because i don't know the automotive practice is over here doing stuff and way back there's their compliance practice doing completely different things so you, you gotta take it division by division probably repeating the process or how do you see that? Yeah, I, it's a great question. And I think usually yes, because the answer comes back to the very beginning of our conversation, right? Is that usually the buyer for each of those practices is a little different. It's just a little different, whether yeah. it's a different industry and that brings its own set of unique issues, or uh, maybe it's a whole different buyer. Sometimes it's this practice is, a, is really hired by the COO and, th and this other practice is really hired by the CHRO, right? And all of a sudden it's like, whoa, that's a totally different set of issues. So I think that, that it, it's a function of those things as well. That said, like we have like that client I was describing, they're doing a buyer journey mapping exercise right now. And they're going, they're starting with a pilot practice. They're starting with an individual practice to really understand 
how clients hire that practice. And they purposely, to your point, focus on a single practice because it's like we recognize the buying journey probably isn't the same for every practice in this big firm. And I, so I think that's a good analogy. And uh, that said, I think like you said, it's nice if you can go after multiple practices and then you can group them together and then again, start to see maybe there are master problems that cut across multiple practices, cut across multiple buyer types. The CMO well, and the can... CSO <clears throat> are dealing with the same problem from different directions. Yeah. I think every now and again, a firm gets it and lands on something they can use for a while. Obviously I'm biased, but I did Accenture's high performance delivered back in the day when they had it, which funny side note, I wasn't working at the firm at that time, <laughs> but I was like, okay, this is a great sort of umbrella message, right? People can get behind. And they I thought it was the best umbrella message I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah, maybe I might have referenced it because I was working at the agencies back in the day trying to peddle services to consulting firms. And I often used Accenture in my pitch or slide decks as a as practice. IBM comes to mind, right, with the Smarter Planet or whatever it was. That was a concept that carried quite a bit. And then it's not a message, but I don't know if you remember Bain for a long time. You just to have this graph on their website where they had the S&P 500's performance charted against their client's performance and the performance of the clients obviously was higher which i thought that was, that was such a slightly arrogant but also very powerful way of just presenting the results I, that's not even a message but i was like okay i get what you guys are about that was interesting anyways i'm surprised they, I'm surprised they took that down it's probably a marketing mistake it's, it seems to me like that's the greatest message you can have right is our clients outperform their peers. <laughs> yeah, maybe they, I don't know why they're not using it. Maybe they are, they grew into the sixth uh, largest economy of the world and have <laughs> now many privately held yeah. businesses where it's difficult to make that up. I don't know. But I just think- to That's a fair that. point, right? Yeah. That's a fair point. But, uh, and that is a true statement, by the way, that, that all those major tier one firms have been going down, down market into middle, into the middle market. Yeah, got to grow somehow, right? Big deal. Yeah, got to grow somehow. But I'm not sure they're winning in that segment, but that's probably a discussion for a different session. But That's a whole different um, topic, it? but it'd be an interesting one. I just wanted to run out because you gave me an idea. I, and I know for a fact that it's been tried, but in a, it's difficult to do for political and just pragmatic reasons. But from what we just discussed, in an ideal world, what you would do is just go by buyer persona and problem. <clears throat> and then you'd bring just a bunch of stories to let's say the CFO in the automotive industry. Those would be the things your firm talks about independent of or irrespective of the practices behind that stuff. Because at the end, the client probably doesn't care, right? How the sausage gets made, but it's interesting. Do you have relevant thought leadership and relevant solutions against that? And then how you organize to deliver those is, a, is an afterthought or is maybe a detail for the RFP or something. But I think that's not a point you get, you ever get to because of, yeah, just mm -hmm. organizational realities. So you've got to go practice by practice probably. Yeah, sorry. Well, I was just going to say, it's an interesting thing that you pose because the, the, that is a lens you have to have in the process, which says just because a client has a problem and it's a big, hairy, complex one and it's a pressing one, doesn't mean that it should be a problem we own if we don't necessarily have the solution set that's designed to solve it, or we're not committed to building the solution set that's designed to solve it, right? Sometimes you do need to oh, have yeah, more points. Yeah. Clients have a hard, you know, firms have a hard time with that saying, you know, we should, and you, I made fun of this a lot and you saw this a lot in COVID. The one example I love to be used is HubSpot rushing to the table to provide guidance on how to submit for a PPP loan in the United States. Um, 
Okay, super useful information for a small business owner, but how does that ladder back to CRM <laughs> platform? Yeah, just being helpful. I'm not clear. It gets it's you search visibility, yeah. but it, that's a very and, and then on top of it, yeah. I don't see them as credible on that topic, so I'm not going to take them seriously. Yeah. So I think it's it, 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 that's something you do want to think about, but you don't want to write about everything, right? You don't want to own problems yeah. that you can't solve. And but that's very true, and a very good point to raise because I can also relate. Like it's you always have to feed the machine, right? LinkedIn, TikTok, YouTube, whatever. It's, the printing press is always on and hungry, so you got to feed it with stuff. And if you don't have, if you're not clear on the problem you own, to get back to the topic of the episode, <laughs> the temptation to just write about things which seem semi-relevant is always there. Yeah, no, good point. So can, maybe to round this out, do you have any more points to share? Because I think that was the first one, right? It's not having the discipline to stick to your guns. But is there anything else you see where problem ownership strategies break down or what way of creating them goes awry? I don't know. Yeah, I had four or five things in that bucket, as I recall. And one of the ones that I see a lot is I talk about this notion of prioritizing today's revenue over tomorrow's revenue. And the thing I try to remind clients yeah, is that nice. when you're investing in thought leadership and you're investing in problems you want to own, you're that's not you don't publish a piece. You don't take a piece of thought leadership to market and expect that a week later, all of a sudden you're going to get this flood of inquiries on whatever this topic is. So you always have to keep in mind that you're investing in the future of the firm. You're investing in 12 months out, three years out. And I see firms make that mistake a lot where they have a tendency to want to prioritize what the client is really struggling with right now at this exact moment, but you might be better off focusing on what are they going to be struggling on struggling with in six months, nine months, 12 months. And surely the last 24 months have been definitely like a, a great living, breathing case study of that, right? Because some yeah. things that were non-issues in February of 20 were big issues in March of 20. Same thing in comes August, September, November, and then of course, walking into this year and then walking into next year, right? So you've got to be taking a looking off on the horizon. And that's just a, probably the biggest mistake I see firms make. And some of that's, you guys talk about this, the pressure of hitting a target for the year. The people that yeah. you work with yeah. to make this come to life are practice leaders. They own a PL. and yeah. <laughs> like, I got to deliver revenue this year, guys. And so the, the, that's the pressure they're under and you have to help them navigate that. And that's hard. I think I'm not a fan of Jeff Bezos by any means, if I can be so clear about that. But I think he has this bit which you can find on the internet where they interview him about, or someone tries to interview him about the next big trends in tech and stuff. And he just says, look, I'm not a fan of these. I'm not looking at what's changing. I'm interested in the things that never change. And that's what I build my business around. And I wonder if you would say, because yes, you have to invest into the future. And obviously you can't do that on yesteryear's issues, but maybe is that is that also a helpful concept to keep in mind to say, let's see if you can identify issues which are like you can't predict the future, so you've got to find something that is has a high likelihood of persisting. Is that what you're saying over the next two, three, four, five years? I don't know if that's a helpful. Yeah, I think not. it's a brilliant comment, and I, that's why I think earlier on I said it's you hope to find issues, problems that you need to own for all time because they're never yeah. going to go away. The, bad example, right? The need to get closer to the customer and really understand the customer and what makes them tick and what they're frustrating with is the essence of any business. Um, 
And there's always a better way to get closer to the customer. And there's always a different way as yeah. consumers change. If you're a B2C company, that's a great problem for a, a consulting firm to own, right? Yeah. How do you get, how do you really know something about your customer that no one else knows? One of my clients likes to say that. It's like, you have to build insights that nobody else has, you know? And how do you do that? You're not going to do it in a survey all nice. day long. Yeah. But the, uh, yeah, that's the hard problem there. And that's probably also the where people have to focus the energy. But I love the comment about the prioritizing today's revenue over there because yeah, it's a difficult battle, but you're right. If you are investing, that's how you got to think. Got The returns will not materialize right away. Probably. Do you have one more? Because we're, I think we're running up against time. So I don't mean to cut us super short, but yeah, no, I'll share one more real fast. And then we can grab, I think there's a speed quality dynamic that firms struggle with. And you alluded to it a little bit earlier when you talked about like this need to feed the machine. Yeah. And I think that firms struggle with this like balance between either they feel intense pressure to keep up with the volume of content that their peers are putting out or the market is just dropping into the world. And hence they maybe put things out there that are again, off the topical strategy, off the problem ownership strategy, the, the PPP thing I referenced. Yeah. yeah it's not a, a bad piece of content, but I just don't know if it's the right content for them mm. to produce. Now I'm not inside their firm. I have no idea. I can't, it's easy for me to comment from the outside looking in. On the flip of that is firms that are pursuing perfection, right? Where they just, it's like, it takes forever to get anything out the door. And there's yeah. seven layers of approvals and disagreement over all kinds of things. And you have to find this happy balance that says, we're not going to, um, we're not going to live and die by search, meaning that we're going to publish so much to be relevant mm -hmm. on, on search engines that we compromise problem ownership strategy. Yet we're also not going to spend nine months on every piece of content and take it to a point where nothing gets out the door because, you know, a, a good piece of content on your desktop is worth far less than a fair piece of content in the market, right? Yeah. So you gotta, you have to deal with that. And so that's probably the biggest issue I do see firms struggle with is finding that right balance. They always seem to be over-indexed on one side and, uh, and there's, a, there, there's the right balance, right? It's the right balance for you, for your firm, every firm. Yeah. Firm. It's funny you mentioned yeah. that. I don't want to take us on to a tangent, but I had a discussion around that very topic last week. And I, it was one of those where I, in the discussion, I didn't have a clear point of view on it. And then thinking about it as I came out of that, I think where I am right now is that my view would be that both strategies are fine as long as there's strategies and you execute with some discipline, right? If you say, okay, we deliberately publish something like t three times a week, right? And we, we throw a bunch of stuff at the wall to see what sticks. Okay, cool. Can you define a minimum quality standard so that it's not hurting the brand? Do you have appropriate mechanisms in place to immediately realize once something sticks, right? And so forth. So if that's your strategy, how well are you positioned to actually execute that? And then on the other hand, if you say we have these seven layers of approvals and we aim for perfection, I would expect you to every once in a while really hit a home run, right? If you do this all the time and you never have a truly exceptional piece, right? That, that I think Rentalbike has this language on their on your website, which I like, where you say firms that own the conversation or lead the conversation. If you're never in that place, <laughs> maybe it's time to reconsider the oh, we are so much about quality methodology. I don't, that's where I am today. I yeah. think either one can be no, fine I, if you I, I actually totally discipline. You. Yeah. And I think to your point, it, it's an extension of your business goals and then an extension of the tactics you align against them. So if your model is, hey, we're going to grow our firm based on search and we're going to, clients are going to find us for our ability to solve a pressing problem on Google, 
then speed is going to be really important. Yeah. It may, it, speed over, not that quality is not important, but speed will be a critical factor to your success. If on the flip of it, you say, you, we want to hit a home run. We want to reinvent the way people think about this problem and be 15, 18 months ahead of the market. That's going to look different. And then, yeah. and we're going to take that to market through a, an earned media strategy, right? So it all has to be in alignment. And, and I, I tried to deliver this in the talks I did over that conference was like, I'm trying to just encourage all of our clients and even ourselves just to be super purposeful. I don't think you can yeah. afford to not be purposeful anymore. You have to be purposeful about every single thing you do, because yeah. if you're not, you're just wasting time and resources and you're falling behind on whatever you're trying to accomplish. And, and that I think is a very excellent place to leave it because I think that's 100% true and, and a good sort of summary at the end of at the end of this. In wrapping up, I think what I heard you say was it really pays to early in the process of figuring out your thought leadership or your marketing strategy, nail a problem your practice or your firm can own, and then build a program against that with some discipline and make deliberate choices around you know how you will get to own that problem. I think that's where we are. And you detailed a nice six-step process in the middle of it, which I'm not going to repeat, but people can rewind on the player and listen to it again. <laughs> or maybe I find the time to put it in the show notes. So thanks for stopping by, Jason. That was excellent. If people want to hear more from you about Rattleback, about the podcast, I don't know if there's going to be another Profiting from Thought Leadership conference. I hope there will be. Where, where should they go and seek you out? Yeah, no, I appreciate you asking. First off, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. You and Ash ask a lot of really good questions and you bring a lot of great insight to some of the things that I have to say and help me think about them differently. So if they want to, so if you're a mid-sized professional services firm or a large firm, even obviously at rattleback.com, you can find our weekly email newsletter. We, we publish an article virtually every week on how to market those types of firms more effectively. And then if you're interested in the, in the, the Profiting from Thought Leadership Conference, or there's a lot of research on that website, that website is thoughtleadershipseminar.com. In fact, we'll have our latest research on thought leadership, a best practices study, hopefully publishing in December. You can go there and keep an eye out for that. And uh, yeah, thanks again for having me. Yeah. And I'll put a link to Rattle and Pedal into the show notes as well so people can find it because I do recommend the podcast. It's one of the, I don't know if you were the first one in our space, but you certainly were the first one I found and I've been listening to it, enjoying it ever since. So yeah, thanks for coming by and have a nice remainder of the week, so to speak. I'll stop the recording here. You as well. And yeah, for those wondering. The year. Thanks, Flo. Yeah, thanks. For those wondering, by the way, Ash, Ash had to drop 10 minutes ago, so. He says hi and bye or whatever, but he's not here right now. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Unbillable Hours. If you want more, tune in next week. You know where to find us.